Yes, amen. Good morning, you guys. Glad to be in the house of the Lord. Yeah, I know that song's a little edgy for some of you guys, but we needed something edgy this morning because we are talking about revival. I'm up on the front row, and by the way, I'm not mad at Judy. I was down here, and you know, all the seats were taken. All these grandkids like her. I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, yeah, I'm down here, and I'm just listening to this music, that, the, you know, the old hymn, Revive Us Again, and, and your love will not, you know, you know, your love will never leave us. And, of course, the last one, Light of Fire, Light of Fire Within Us. And if you're here today, and you genuinely love where we live, you love this country, you love... You love the fact that, that, you know, that you were born in America. And you, and you long to see a revival to break out in this country. You long to see evil thrown back and God move forward. If you long for that, then this is the message today. Um, it was, I, someone asked me this morning just a few minutes ago and said, You got a good one today? I said, Man, I don't know, but I know I got some good scripture you know, and the Word of God is going to speak if we allow it to speak. Just like these songs. These songs, I hope you, even if it's not your, your style of music, I hope you're listening to the words of the music. And again, even, even if the presentation today is not your thing, you know, I'm really hoping that you're listening to the Scriptures and what they say. And one of the things I just love about God is He's the God of second chances. I am so glad. And really, like somebody said, when I said, he goes, what, you know, what's the title? And I said, you know, it's the God of second chances. And they said, and third, and fourth, and fifth. And I said, that's exactly right. You can't outmaneuver God's grace. You know, I love that because let's just be honest. We don't mess up just once and God needs to throw us a second chance. We mess up over and over and over again. But his love never fails. It never runs away. You know, he's so faithful, so good. Go back again to Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in our way. And if we stumble and fall, if when we stumble and fall, we will not be utterly cast down. It's all over. Sorry, bud. Kick to the curb like so much garbage. No, we will not be utterly cast down because he picks us up with a strong hand. And that's the God of second chances. Now, now if we're going to see... An outbreak of revival, and again, the answer is here today. Um, if we're going to see an outbreak of national revival, hey, 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 let's just bring it home. Because some of us, can we be honest, we can't get our arms around a national revival, okay? We can't. But could you get your arms around a revival in your marriage? Could you get a, uh, uh, arms around a revival at whatever your address is? Mine happens to be 217 West Poplar Street. Could, could you get your arms around a revival breaking out in our church and our youth department? Uh, could, could you get uh, your arms around that? Then do that. Then do that. But if we're going to see that happen, there's one big thing. And this starts out here with our first teaching point, our introduction. You know, it says this. Now listen, listen carefully to this. Don't let the simplicity miss the message. Throughout the Bible, okay, so from, from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, throughout the Bible, the message is the same, grace and redemption. Grace and this the whole Bible is a story of God redeeming mankind. Now, can I, can I be honest with you? That's something that will sell. But when we want to go out in culture and tell them how bad they are and how much they've sinned, like we never sin, hello, okay, and tell them all of that. 
that, that, that may be true. But the message that sells, the message that Jesus sold when he walked three years on this earth, the message that God sold when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That message sells. And it's the message of grace and redemption. You know, there's something called the, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And man, when you hear that, it's not a good thing. You know, you mean you're in, you're in deep weeds. And of course, uh, every state in, in our nation has all these different laws, okay? And you know, we often see that as so restrictive and so condemning, okay? Here's the deal. We have got to sell this to culture, okay? Because again, what we're selling is, is, is restrictive and condemning, and it, but that won't sell. But we need to sell grace and redemption. Grace and redemption. The Bible we sell, if it's a message of grace and redemption, the message we throw out there, grace and redemption, the culture is more likely to embrace that. And that's the message that we've been given. That's the challenge that we've been given. You know, whether it's a guy named David. You know, David. You know, David's the guy who killed the giant. Yeah, and he also killed Bathsheba's husband. The guy, the guy who, who thought he was above the law and had an affair. And yet still a man after God's own heart, according to the word of God. Then you've got Peter. Oh, Peter, yeah, these other guys, they, they may let you down, Jesus, but I won't. And just a couple hours later, he's handing the enemy's camp, going, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Uh, or Abraham. I love Abraham. Abraham, you know, it's great for your marriage. Here's great marriage counseling. This is what you do to have a great marriage. Oh, her? No, she's not my wife. She's my sister. That goes over well. Get ready for beans for supper. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Or, or whether it's Jonah. And we know a little bit about Jonah. We're going to hear more about him today. Or maybe it's Joe. Or maybe it's Jane. Or maybe it's Dwayne. Or maybe it's Judy. Whoever it is... God extends second chances. You can't out God's grace. You cannot out God's grace. And that's what we've got to get out there, is that when we meet these guys, you know, and, and they're up their eyeballs in sin, we got to let them know, hey, guess what? There's a God who loves you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you. And, and if you're willing to receive that message and that gift, man, you can have forgiveness of your sin. That's what we've got to get out there. And he's a God of doing it over and over again, multiple opportunities to get it done. So we've got to get, that's where it starts. We've got to be true to the word of God and get the word of God out there amongst the people. Now, let's do our first teaching point, which requires us to back up. Now, last week, we were in a boat. And our prophet had ran uh, down, went to Joppa, and then got a boat to go to Tarsus. You know, God said, go to Nineveh. He went the opposite direction. Um, God hurls a storm um, on the sea. That's the word, the Hebrew word. And our friend is down in the bottom of the boat, sound asleep, literally says, stretched out, sound asleep. The captain comes down and says, dude. Well, I'm not sure it's exactly in Hebrew. Uh, but, but dude, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray to your God, and maybe, just maybe, we won't die. And that's where we left it. 
Well, Jonah does get up. He spills his guts and says, this is all about me. I'm running from God. You know, if you want something, just throw me overboard. That's probably what needs to happen. And so they did. They tossed him overboard. And then God prepares this, this giant fish. Uh, the word whale is not in the Hebrew. It's literally a giant fish. And, and, this, and God prepares this fish to come along. And when Jonah hits the water... Bam, this fish comes and swallows him. And then Jonah, Jonah spends three days inside a giant fish. Okay? Let me tell you two things you need to know because it applies to your life. Number one is this. Three days, okay? Jonah was there for three days and not one hour, not one minute, not one second was wasted. Every hour, minute, and second was one redemptive and secondly, purposeful. And you need to understand when God sends junk into your life and you're going, don't know and don't like it, just remember that. He's a God of redemption, a God of purpose. When something comes into your life as a believer, mark her down, God's doing something. He's up to something. He's not just trying to make your life miserable, all right? He's trying to work in your life. You know, it's a loaf of bread. You know, we, I don't make bread. I don't make anything, as a matter of fact. Um, that's why I had Judy. But, but, you know, if you take a, a loaf of dough, you mix the dough up, and you put it in this pan, okay? If you put that on the table, it's just not very palatable. It's just not good. For bread to be bread, you've got to bake it. It has to spend time in the oven. Well, so it is true, okay, with us. We need to spend time, if you will, in the oven. We sometimes need to spend time in the belly of a giant fish. There are some things, listen, write this down. There are some things that you can only learn in the belly of a giant fish. And see, God is all about, listen, God's not just interested in making you happy. God's not just saying, hey, I put you here to have a ball. He is so interested in growing you to be more like Christ. He's so, in fact, he's so interested. Now, this is a really heavy word. You know, he's really interested in making you holy. And you go, oh, man, that's, that's like a religious word. No, it just really means set apart. You know, God is so interested in setting you apart for him. That's what he is all about. And there are some things in that process that we can only learn in the belly of a fish. So, so when things happen don't naturally assume that God's mad at you. God spends very little time mad at you. He spends a lot of time redeeming you, redeeming you. So, so Jonah had some time in the belly of a fish, okay? And at the, when the bread was done, okay, you know, he was ready to obey. It took three days, Three days, and God, again, was redemptive. You know, every hour, every minute, every second was used to prepare him. And when the finally, the fish, and I love this, you know, it's so easy. You know, the Bible really says the fish vomited Jonah up. Blech, you know, throws him up on, on the shore. Okay? He was ready to obey. Okay? Now, here's the deal. Tony Evans, I love this. Tony Evans said, sometimes God lets you hit rock bottom so that you can realize that he is the rock at the bottom. Sometimes the biggest lesson in the time we spend in the belly of a fish is simply to depend on God, that God is working in our midst, okay? So, so kind of write that down. You need to know that because we spend way too much time thinking God's either on vacation in Florida or he's mad at us. No and no, he's simply working in your life to set you apart. Okay, so we got verse number one and two in Jonah chapter three, okay? So the Bible says, after he gets 
vomited up on the shore, okay? Then the Lord spoke to Jonah. Here it is, the, the second chance, a second time, a second time. And you know what? It doesn't change. You know, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. Same thing. You know, I know, I know I'm too old for this, but um, you remember, some of y'all remember Herman's Hermits. Now, if you don't know that, everybody with any common sense musically knows that the 60s and 70s were the greatest music in the whole world. Okay? They were. And there was all these crazy musical groups, and one of them was called uh, Herman and the Her- Herman's Hermits. Okay? And so they wrote a song about Henry VIII. They were from Britain. It made sense, you know. And he goes, I'm Henry VIII. I am Henry it's so It's so deep. In a the eighth, I am, I am. So he's singing a song, and so they get through singing it over and over again, okay? And, and maybe it was related to the original courses when we sang the same seven words 15 times. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so finally old Herman goes, second verse, same as the first. I'm in a re-. So on he goes. So here's the deal. It's the second verse, but it's the same as the first, okay? Get up. And go to that great city. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, Jonah, and this doesn't change, by the way. I need to tell you that. Jonah saw Nineveh as the great enemy. Okay? God saw it as the great opportunity. Jonah, all, it didn't change. It didn't change. Even when he chose to obey God, it didn't change. Unfortunately, he still hated the Ninevites. They were the enemy of Israel, and they were still the enemy of Israel. But where he saw this great enemy, God saw this great opportunity for his redemption and for his love. So he sends Jonah back to there. Well, teaching point. The God of second chances handed Jonah one. The God of second chances, you know, ranges for the fish, throws him up, and then he's laying on the shore. He hands him a second chance. But here's the deal. The mission and message remains the same. See, again, it's so cool. You know why God is, you know, God's word is still valid today after being around, you know, for all these years, these millennia, these millennia, okay? His reason why is the mission and message remains the same. He got it right the first time. God always gets the, it right the first time. It's true then, and it was true now, okay? So he's on his way back to Nineveh. And look at verse number three. So... This time, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Now, here's what I want to pause. This, this is important. This is important. Um, he obeyed God, but he still was reluctant. And here's what I love. Here's what I love. God can use you even when you're reluctant. I mean, Jonah, you read the book if you want to. We won't get to chapter 4. We're going to be done with chapter 3. But, but if you read the book, clearly Jonah still hated the Ninevites, and he didn't want to go preach to them. He just simply obeyed. And yet God could use him even with his reluctance, even with his reluctance. You know, it may have been dutiful obedience, but it was still obedience. And I love the fact, look, that God can use you the way you are. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a degree. All you have to do is be willing to obey, even if sometimes you're not obeying 
for the right reason. You're simply obeying. Well, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. You know, the Bible makes a big deal about the vastness of Nineveh, okay? So here is, here's hundreds of thousands of people. Get that in your mind. Hundreds of thousands of people. It's a savage city. It's a heathen city. It's a pagan city. It's all those things and all these different people. And here's the deal. The vastness of the lostness calls God to move. The vastness and the lostness moved God to move. Again, Jonah didn't care. He hoped they would die. But God wasn't satisfied with that. So God sends this reluctant prophet to bring this message and the vastness of the lostness. You know, this was, this, again, that's what this was all about. Why in the world, why would Jesus, the Son of God, become flesh, be born of a virgin, and then spend all this time on earth, and then finally for three years of ministry, and then, and then literally go through hell for us? Why, why would he willingly be nailed to a cross? Why would he become sin for us? Why would, why would the father turn his back on his own son? You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would all this happen? Why, why did Jesus finally yield the ghost? Why did they have him buried? Why did God go through all the trouble of resurrecting him? Why? Man, because he loves you and he loves this world. He loves you and he loves this world. That's exactly, exactly why. God sees the vastness, uh, the lostness of this world and wants to do something about it. Now look, listen. God sees the lostness and vastness of the place we call home and he wants to do something about it. And we are the instruments. We are the instruments that God wants to use. So, verse number four. So on the day... On the day, Jonah entered the city. There apparently was no delay, okay? So he chooses, he walks into the village. Now keep in mind, hundreds of thousands of people. Are you getting this? This was not Bethlehem, the little village. Hundreds of thousands of people. So he walks into the city, and look what he does. He shouts at the crowds. Now y'all are so generous with me. I know you're generous, okay? You come out, oh, pastor, that was such a good message. I know you're just being kind. Okay? This was not his best day. His, his preaching professor in school would have been, eh, that's not how you do it. You notice what I said? He shouts at the crowds. He screams at the crowds. And the message is this. 40 days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now imagine, again, he's in the city of his enemies. They know he's a Jew, and he knows they're the enemy, and he starts walking around shouting to these people, 40 days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. This is not how you do it. And that's how he did it. And God was able to use his weakest efforts. Forty days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. So, so what's our teaching point? He spoke the truth. He shouted it at them, as a matter of fact. Technique was all wrong. Uh, the message was right. Technique was wrong. But the world today, listen doesn't need a soft, gooey, feel-good lie. That's not going to change a man's life, a woman's life, a child's life. It's not going to bring revival 
We are not going to win the world by some soft-pedaled gospel that says you can know God and not change. It's not popular, but I'm just telling you, you can't. You can't. What they need is the simple truth of the gospel. And they don't need the simple lie of your religion either. They need to hear about Jesus. Can I say it? I've done it three times. I hope it's not too much. Oh, let's use something different. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. They don't need to hear, hmm, you know what, I, 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 do I want to say this? I think I do. When you're out there telling the world about Jesus, save the story about their sin for later. Tell them the story of the Savior. Tell them the story. They don't need to hear condemnation. They need to hear redemption. Tell your friend about Jesus. Tell your children about Jesus. Tell your boss about Jesus. About, tell, tell them about this. Tell them about a God who loves them so much. He sent his son to die for them. Tell them that. Tell them that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. The simple truth of the gospel. It's simple. You need to believe who Jesus was and what he did. You need to be willing to confess your sin and turn away from your sin and then follow Jesus. That's the simple truth of the gospel. Simple truth. Believe what Jesus said about himself, who he was. Believe that you're a sinner and that he died for you. Turn away from your sin and follow Jesus. That's it. It's simple. We need to keep it simple. Keep it simple. We don't need some gooey lie. We need the truth. You know, Andy Stanley said something that we need to understand. You know, see, next year is going to be a hard year in our, our church and in our culture and in our nation, because we're going to elect a new president. And some of y'all are going to let your politics get in the way of your worship. Some of y'all are going to let your politics get in the way of your testimony. Okay? So you need to hear this right now. All right? It's okay to offend people with the gospel. People are going to be offended with the gospel. What do you mean, Dwayne? Imagine you're a Muslim. And... If you even listen to the message about Jesus, okay, then you're going to be kicked out of your family, okay? And, and if you all of a sudden choose to believe in Jesus, that means that generations of your family were all wrong. It also means that they are lost forever, and you're admitting that. That could be offensive. It could be offensive, you know, when, when again, it means perhaps facing, coming eyeball to eyeball with, with sin. Uh, I think I am honestly convinced that a lot of people choose not to believe in God because if there's no God, there's no accountability. So to admit that, wait a minute, I might be a sinner and there is a God, you know, that could be offensive. So on multiple levels, okay, the gospel can be, a, oh, oh, I almost forgot the important one. You know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. What do you mean Jesus is the only way to heaven? What about this religion or that religion or this religion and that religion? Hey, that's pretty offensive to me. Yeah. So, so you know what? Truth is, the gospel might be offensive. Okay? And I like what he said. But good grief. Let's don't offend them with something else. If they get offended with the gospel, they get offended with the gospel. Amen? 
But let's not offend them with something else. Let's not offend them with our our denominationalism, our holier-than-thou attitude. If we offend them with the gospel, that's fine. But let's not offend them with something that's not necessary. You know, Paul, I think, probably had this in mind, you know, teaching point. The truth needs to be spoken. Amen? Now listen, a watered-down gospel is no gospel at all. A watered-down gospel is no gospel at all. We need to speak the truth. We need to speak the simple truth. We need to keep the truth simple, and we need to put it out there for the, for the culture. The truth needs to be spoken, but that doesn't mean it needs to be harsh. Oh, I wish I could tell you how easy it is. I do it, I do it, you do it. I'll just tell you, you do it too. We get out there and we start talking the culture and we come across harsh to them. Harsh to them. And then we wonder why they don't want to hear us. Look what Paul said. Ephesians 4, 14 tells us we are to speak the truth in love. Paul wrote that, but guess who did it? Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus' harsh words were always... Isn't it funny? I was talking to someone, and they were talking about, we were talking about government and religion and all that. I said, do you understand that Jesus really even mentioned the Romans? He didn't really mention them. Okay? And when he spoke harshly, guess who he spoke harshly to? The religious elite. It wasn't the sinner. It's the religious elite. That's who he spoke harshly to. So that's what Jesus did. He spoke the truth in love. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And we, when the woman was living with, it's you know, kind of still an ouchy moment, you know, he met the woman at the well, you know, and, and um, so where's your husband? I don't have a husband. He goes, well, that's really true. In fact, you've had five of them, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. But even that was spoken in kindness. And God used that to bring her to salvation. So, number one, speak the truth in love. Okay, so when you're talking to your coworkers, hey, students, when you're talking to the guys at high school, speak the truth in love. You don't need to soft pedal, you don't need to water down, but you do need to speak the truth in love. And then in Colossians, in chapter 4, verse number 6, let your speech, let your speech always be gracious. So, you know, we're to speak the truth in love, and then it's going to be graceful. Graceful. I'm telling you what, guys, listen. I'm so guilty, and yet, and yet I know you are too, so I don't feel too bad. You know, we're just not graceful with our mouths. We, we rarely speak the truth in love, and we rarely speak with grace. Some of the things we say, you know, are just horribly harsh. Sometimes to each other, and sometimes out there. Be gracious, seasoned with salt. Love, gracious, and seasoned with salt. You know, I think there's a saying that says something like this, don't rub salt in the wound. Am I, am I right there? Don't rub salt in the wound. And sometimes with our mouths, if we're not careful, we rub salt in the wound. The way we say things, how harsh we are, rubs that into their sin wound, and it closes the door. Yes, funny. Don't rub salt into the wound. But you know what salt does? It makes things taste better. Sprinkle it. Don't rub it. Sprinkle it. Only for my wife's sake. I'm going to use this illustration. I don't personally believe it, but I'll use it. 
It has been reported by certain people that when you put salt on watermelon, it actually makes it sweeter. No, 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 no. I don't care. No, I'm not going to buy it. And you shouldn't put sugar on grits either, just for the record. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, salt can be good when it's sprinkled. It can be horrible when it's rubbed. When it's rubbed. When it's rubbed. So Paul says, let your speech be filled with grace. And by the way, can I just be, can I be honest? Remember this now, and remember when you go out those doors, and remember it next year. Okay? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Because each person's different. You know, when we're going to talk to someone about Jesus, ask God, the Holy Spirit, to direct our speech. Yeah, have you ever thought about this? You know, when, when Lazarus died and Jesus was coming up, you know, he approaches uh, Martha, the analytical one, okay, the intellectual one, and, and he has this theological discussion. I mean, her brother's dead too, and here comes Jesus with a theological discussion, and it worked perfectly. And then there's Mary, the tender-hearted, soft-hearted one, and he approaches Mary totally differently, and both received the message. Why? Because that you may know how you should answer each person. So we need to know, how can we speak to people about the gospel so that they might be able to hear us? Well, get ready for the shocker of the day, okay? So you got this reluctant preacher who doesn't want to be there. His message delivery is, I'm going to shout at you. I'm going to holler at you. And the message is this, 40 days and the city's going to be destroyed. That was the message. Well, this is going to go over like a lead balloon. If this was a search committee, he would not get hired. Okay? So guess what happens? Look at this. Verse number five. The people of Nineveh believe God's message. What? See, see, I know us. We're already saying, America would never have a national revival. That person would never be saved. Well, I'm glad you're God and you figured it out. God can do whatever he wants to. And that person you've written off, God hasn't written off. That husband that God has written off, he's not written him off. That child that you said will never be much, yeah, well, God's not written him off. Amen? And I'm telling you guys, we want revival. We, we whine about the condition of our country. Let's get serious and get serious with God and see what God can do. He's a lot better than whatever party you want to identify with. The people of Nineveh believe God's message. And from the greatest to the least, from the top to the bottom, from east to west, from the greatest to least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. This is so cool because this was not like a, well, that really moved my heart. Man, it's like a, it's like a tsunami. You can just see a tsunami sweeping over an island. Well, this was a tsunami of conviction as, as this message that, again, we're going to see in just a moment. It didn't matter who presented it or how the presentation was. Man, God's conviction was like a tsunami and just raced over that city. And from the greatest and to the least, they declared it. Tell me God couldn't do it in America. Tell me God couldn't do it in America. Try to convince me that God could not do it in America. We said we love this country. Let's get serious about revival. 
Let's get serious about the one answer there is, and it is God. So they declared a fast. Well, well what, what exactly did that look like? Look at our, our teaching point. Listen, it wasn't, I love this, it wasn't the preacher. It wasn't the presentation. Billy Graham didn't show up that day and preach that day. It was a reluctant prophet. It wasn't the presentation. He would have said this. He could have said it in a monotone, or he could have shouted and yelled it like he did. You know, it was the convicting power of God who's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repent. See, if revival were to come to America, it wasn't because God owes us something. It's because God's not willing that any should perish. God would wish the same thing on Germany, on Africa, on Canada, on Mexico, on Tanzania, on Puerto Rico. The message and desire is the same. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to redemption. That's the hope. That's the message of God. And look at this. This is crazy. Look at verse 6. Now keep in mind, heathen city, pagan city, savage, heathenistic city. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, and remember the message, 40 days, then it's going to be destroyed. That's it. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. Now, what caused that? It was God. See, God can change White Houses. God can change state houses. God can change city halls. And God can change churches. Nothing's beyond the power of God. So I love this. I love the verbiage. You know, when the king heard this, he stepped down and took off his... He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. What? That's the power of God. That's the power of God. Can... God, could God bring revival in America? And the answer is yes. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, our teaching point says this. Um, there, there's power. Well, first of all, there's power anyway, but there's power when revival starts at the top and flows down. But in this case, when the national leader, okay, when the national leader takes down, moves down from his throne and sits in a heap of ashes. When the national leader takes off his robes and puts on sackcloth, okay, well, it gets, it, it's big. You know, when kings step down, God can step up. But can I be this way? Can I just bring it home to you? When you step down, God can step up. When pastors step down, God can step up. When deacons step down, God can step up. When men and women are willing to step down, God is free to step up. And when God steps up, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. It's amazingly, powerfully crazy. So, these next three verses, actually the next two verses, and then the other one's our big eye-opener. Okay, I this I, I told you, I was so I was so excited about this because I'd never seen it before. And believe me, I've run I read Jonah several times, preached through it once several times, and I don't ever remember seeing this before. But but look at verse number seven. I call this ER 
um, play on words at Mercy Room, but ER, extreme repentance. Extreme repentance. Look at this. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Okay, here's the decree. No one, not even the animals, that's big, Paul's there, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. Now, it's one thing to call up your deacons and say, we're going to have a little fast here. But this guy shuts down the city. Okay? He says, no one in the city is allowed to eat or drink. Oh, by the way, that includes your animals. He shut down the city socially. He shut down the city, you know, economically. It's so funny. I said, and I don't sure, I have to write on this sometime. That's what they did with COVID for the totally wrong reason. This is for the totally right reason. Totally wrong in COVID. Totally right here. Hey, I'm shutting down the economy. I'm shutting down the social life. You know, we are going to have revival. It gets crazier. This is the one that calls me up. What? Look at verse number eight. In fact, I said, I've got to check and see if this is really what it means. People and animals. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. Now, buddy, if you want to know if they were serious about repentance, yeah. Okay, all you folks out there, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all, take off your clothes and put on this burlap, rough against your skin, uncomfortable, don't want to wear it thing. Put that on. Oh, and by the way, every one of your cows, sheep, goats, donkeys, and I suppose chickens, have to put on burlap. Have you ever heard anything like that? See, see, you, you, know, you know things are setting up for God to do something big. When, when the king is willing to make people and animals you know, wear this garments of mourning, hello, hello. And then look at this. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They were pagans. On a good day, they couldn't even spell God. And all of a sudden, here comes the king going, listen, you know, get your burlap on, put it on your animals, you can't eat, you can't drink. Oh, and by the way, pray earnestly to God. That's revival, folks. And you know what? It could happen here. They must turn, people, they must turn, I don't know if the animals turn from the evil ways or not. No, they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. King was serious, and the people were serious because they did it. Now here's here's a here's an amazing, amazing part. Again, they they didn't even know anything about this God, but they were willing to go to extreme extremes. Now, does that look familiar to you? Let's see if this sounds familiar. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's not an exact match. But the recipe from 714 is right here. We see it lived out again in a different culture. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven. I'll heal the land and forgive their sin. Okay. We've got to wind this puppy up. 
And that's when Ezra would say, Reach on! Someone's going to take his place. Verse 9. Check this out. Who can tell? That's what the king says. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Who can tell? See, truth is, we don't have the mind of God. I don't know what his plan for the future of the, our country is. Who can tell? I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Who can tell? I don't know when the end of the world is coming. I know it's coming. But who can tell? And in this case, they knew that the, the, the culture was going to be destroyed. But even yet, God will change his mind. Who can tell? And hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. This answers the big question, by the way. You've wondered it. Can God change his mind? Yep. Will he change his character? Nope. God will change his mind, but he will not change his character. Well, look at verse number 10. When God saw what they had done, and... How they had stopped their evil ways. What and how. What and how. He changed his mind. And did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. How about that? How about that? Which leads me to ponder and wonder. So what if the church got serious? What if we quit fussing and fighting and backbiting and stabbing each other? What if we quit worrying so much about what denominationalism it is? What, you know, you're this and I can't work with you because you're not this. And you don't use this translation of the Bible and that translation. And you don't sing these songs, but you don't sing these songs. What if all that really didn't matter? What could God do? Anything. Anything. Because when God saw they had what they had done and how they had done it, He changed his mind. Do you love America? Are you one of those people that say all the time, well, our country has gone so downhill, and it has. But there's hope. There's hope. But it's not in a man. Come on. It's not in a party. I got my preference. You got yours. Probably in this church it's the same. Mostly. That's not the answer. Whatever happens in November next year, that is not the answer. The answer is God. The answer is God. He is sovereign and He is in control. And honestly, I think I write it every week or five days a week. He's got this. So if you're concerned about your, the America that your, your kids are going to grow up in, if you're concerned about your grandkids what, and the, the great-grandkids, what, what, what are they going to grow up in? Okay. You got your answer. It begins with a heartfelt revival in your life and seeking Jesus above all else. That's where it begins. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Can God? Well, our responsibility is to set the table. Our responsibility is to put 
America in a place where God can bless America again. Will God? Well, he's sovereign. We don't know. It could be the, tomorrow Jesus is coming back and this is all new point. Or he may be another hundred years. We don't know. We don't know. Will he? But our job is to be faithful with the gospel until then. Until then. Would you bow your heads, please, as we pray? The altar is open this morning. Brother Brent's going to be back up here handling the invitation. And um, if you'd like to come and pray um, for your family, for our country, uh, for Harrisburg High School, uh, for the middle school, uh, for the elementary schools, if you feel led to come and pray. Um, perhaps God spoke to your heart about someone you know who needs desperately to be saved. And you'd pray, God, how, how can I share? How can I present? Maybe there's something in your life you know that needs to be taken care of. Have that conversation with God this morning. So I know about that conversation. So let God have his way. And then see and watch God do his way outside these doors. Thanks, God, for the privilege of sharing today. Don't let Satan steal the seed away from this message. Let it burn and be buried into our hearts. And we love you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.